Well, this is lesson number 10 of what is the heart, uh, the nature of attitudes. And this is going to kind of wrap up a little three-course mini-division in these teachings because we saw a couple weeks ago that the heart has a voice that is our conscience. The heart has a voice that is faith. And we're going to see here the heart has a voice that is attitude. And so you'll see that when the heart manifests, it's going to manifest as your conscience. It's going to manifest as an attitude. It's going to manifest as faith. And really, those three so tightly overlap, you almost can't distinguish them. Because faith itself is an attitude. I am well able. And that's called confidence. Or it's never going to change for me. It's never going to change for me. That's an attitude of defeatism, and it's also called unbelief. But at the same time, it's a response to what you heard. Will you be healed? I'll never be healed. So your conscience was replying to a, a faith statement that you just couldn't accept. So we need to be mindful of this as we move forward. And I think the next lesson, which I have not written yet because I'm churning these out one a week, We'll talk about how, how the heart is desperately wicked and incurably sick, and maybe we'll start to conclude with all of that. So this is the nature of attitudes. We have previously seen that our heart has a voice, the manifestation of which can either be categorized as our conscience or as faith. This lesson will evaluate the voice of our heart manifesting as a third force, and I don't know what else to call it other than a force, and that is attitude. Perhaps surprisingly, the Bible has much to say about attitude though the word attitude will not be found in traditional translations. Understand that attitude is a modern word, a modern English word to describe what previous generations called mental disposition or constitution. So let's be mindful of that. So let's look at the definition of attitude here. We have a lot of definitions in this before we start looking at a lot of scripture on attitudes. Attitude is a settled way of thinking or feeling. I underline that because that lines up with our definition. It's a settled way of thinking or feeling about someone or something typically reflected in a person's behavior. So we obviously can see attitude by how someone behaves. We might even could add, as you and I would understand, we can see attitude on people's faces. A grimace, a scorn, a scor just this ugly look or this joy or this happiness. Or, you know, drug-induced coma, just kind of laid back, falling asleep. It's a manner, a disposition, a feeling, a position, etc., with regard to a person or thing. It's a tendency, orientation, especially of the mind. So I add this curious. The secular definition recognizes that attitude is an ethereal reflection of how we think and keep thinking or feel and keep feeling. And so we see uh, that even in this secular definition of attitude, it incorporates thinking and feeling. And these are these help feed what our attitude is. When you feel angry, we can see it. It's an attitude. I'm just so mad. They just make me so mad. Or I'm so sad. I'm just so sad. I can't stop being so sad. And it just keeps coming out of you. Disposition, which is another older term, means temper or temperament. When we say temper nowadays, we think of anger. But it really is an abbreviation for temperament. Temperament, a disposition of mind with regards to passions and affections. It's a natural constitution of the mind or the frame of mind as directed to particular objects. It's an inclination, propensity, the temper or frame of mind. So we see this again. We're picking up all these old English words that reflect what we understand very well as attitude. We all get attitude. That is 
part of the American experience. It's part of the human experience. Every one of us as an American, maybe some of our internationals, maybe your dad looked at you and said, boy, you changed that attitude. I'm going to change it for you. We learned about it when we were like four. I don't know what attitude is, but it can be changed really quick. So constitution, that's the character or condition of mind. That's the disposition. So these definitions invoke the other definitions. It's a temperament, the way in which a person is made up. So this is probably the more long-held definition that a constitution is kind of somebody's personality. And we got to be careful there because if we're, if we're not cautious, we'll use that as an excuse to stay the same. Well, that's just my constitution. That's just how I'm made up. This is just my framework, which is why we call constitutions constitutions because it's the framework of governments. It is the, it's how a person is made up, the physical or mental makeup. We got to be careful we don't use that as an excuse to stay the same. None of us have permission from the Bible to stay the same. I, I said a couple services ago, the common thing I hear is, well, I'm just Italian. That's the Italian coming out of me. No, you're a jerk. That's what you are. Well, I'm Scotch-Irish. That's the redhead coming out of me. Well, then dye your hair a different color and be sweet or shave that thing bald and be happy. <laughs> we will define, here's our definition. We will define attitude as the spiritual aroma. This is my definition. The spiritual aroma, both good or bad, our heart produces by what it insists on thinking, wanting, and feeling. So our attitude does produce an aroma. And this is why we're about to see the the King James Bible, in quoting Hebrew and Greek, uses the term spirit a lot for what we would call attitude because our attitude does have an aroma. It has an essence to it. You can walk into a room and feel hatred. You, You don't even have to be spiritual. You can walk into a room and feel lust. You can walk into a room or go to a sporting event. You can walk into an arena and feel energy. That is the excitement and the anticipation of the fans for the championship. There's a, they'll say it, there's a buzz in the air. And that is all created by the attitude or the voice of the hearts of those present. You can walk into a region and feel depression. Because it's the hearts of the people saying, there's no hope, there's no hope, there's no hope. They're not saying it with their mouth. They're totally saying it in their heart. And it produces an aroma, which the ancients best described as spirit. We will define attitude as the spiritual aroma, good or bad, our heart produces by what it insists on thinking, wanting, and feeling. So just keep in mind, whatever your attitude is, it's pumping out spiritual aroma. And for parents, let me use this to terrify you. If you keep pumping out weird spiritual aroma, that's the flavor your kids will absorb. And they'll become like you which could be wonderful or horrible. That's also why we grow up and we have to say, man, I smell like mom. I smell like dad. I got to get this off of me. I got to get this off of me. That's why Jude says, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh because it's you coming out of you into your clothes, so to say. So we got to be mindful that we keep a joyful aroma in our home, a joyful, faith-filled aroma in our home so that our kids grow up with confidence. Depressed, discouraged, fearful kids aren't born. They're created through discipleship and the aromas of home. Hostile, angry, belligerent kids are not born. They're created by the aromas around them. Amen. And children are a reflection of their parents. 
Traditional Bible translations do not use the words attitude or disposition because these are modern terms. However, the concept as we know it can be found in the original Hebrew and Greek. The Hebrew word we find used in Scripture is rewak, while the Greek word is pneuma, and we're familiar with both of those, I hope. Rewak, Hebrew, means wind, breath, mind, or spirit. Rewak is known for being translated holy spirit, evil spirit, and wind. But other Hebrew uses include vivacity, vigor, courage, temper, anger, patience, impatience, and dispositions of various kinds. So you can even see how it's translated in other scripture. It's translated as certain attitudes. Vigor, which is an attitude. Courage, which is an attitude. Temper, which is an attitude. Anger, which is an attitude. Patience and impatience, which are both attitudes. But that's how this word is translated from the Hebrew. But it's also translated Holy Spirit, and it's also translated breath, and it's also translated wind. But we see within the Hebrew, there is this essence that it is an attitude because it's an aroma. It's the voice of our heart. The Greek is pneuma, where we get our modern word pneumatic. This means wind, breath, or spirit. Pneuma is also famously known for being translated Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, Demon Spirit, Human Spirit, Ministering Spirit. But other Greek definitions include the disposition or influence which fills and governs the soul of anyone. It is the efficient source of any power, affection, emotion, desire. Aristotle regarded the pneuma of man to be the force that shaped the personality. Our attitudes certainly define our personality. Think about it. When you think about Joe, Joe's just happy all the time. Joe's so determined. Or Joe's hostile. Joe's real touchy-feely. Their attitudes are advertising what their personality is. That guy's always on the go. He's just so courageous. He's a go-getter. He can't let the dust settle. Or, man, she's just mopey. She's just whiny. She's just defeated. She's, you don't even want to be around her. She'll suck the life right out of you. That's an attitude, and it defines the personality. That's why Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher, he made mention or noted that that pneuma, that spirit, that essence that defines your personality But we're seeing we can change it by changing what we think and keep thinking, want and keep wanting, and emote and keep emoting. We just have to program ourselves and train ourselves. Just like any coach, any boss, any discipler will say, nope, that's not how we view that. Nope, that's not how we view that. Nope, that's not how we view that. That's not how we respond to that. That's not how we respond to that. That's not how we respond to that. It takes discipleship to change who you are. But who you are right now is a result of discipleship. Even if it's weird, broken home, messed up, cookful discipleship. The bad news is, discipleship made us. The good news is, discipleship can make us. But the older you get, it takes a lot more discipleship, a lot more energy. And it is why it is a true proverb, though not a biblical one, that it's very difficult to teach old dogs new tricks. But your heart has to say, I might be old in body, but I'm young in heart. Change me, Lord. Change me, Lord. I love you. (laughs) It is important to note that when studying the scriptures along the theme of attitude and mental disposition, we must depend upon contextual clues to discern when the term spirit is referring to demon spirit, human spirit, the spirit of God, or man's mental disposition and attitude. For example, Genesis 41.8, And it came to pass in the morning that Pharaoh's spirit was troubled. That's not his born-again spirit. He's not born again. And his human spirit's dead, so why are we even mentioning this? His spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men thereof, 
And Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none that could interpret them unto Pharaoh. Pharaoh's dream about seven thin ears devouring seven rank and full ears troubled his, uh, his spirit. This couldn't be his human spirit because it was dead to God, the born-again experience not being available for 1,500 more years. This must then refer to the, his attitude or mental disposition. The dream troubled his heart, and he awoke downcast and discouraged, both of which are mental attitudes, downcast and discouraged. Remember, the psalmist said, Why are you cast down, O my soul? That would have been a downcast spirit or a troubled spirit. But even the psalmist in saying, Why are you cast down, O my soul? He is changing his attitude. He is changing his personality. You have to change it. And you can change it quickly by getting around things that cast it down and getting around things that depress you and telling thoughts that come across your mind that it's never going to change. It's always going to be the same. You tell that to shut up. You've got to plug holes in your boat while you're bailing the water out and get rid of anybody who has a drill in your boat. Get them out of your life. Get them out of your life. Get them out of your life. I don't care if they gave birth to you. If mama has a big old drill and she's putting holes in the bowl, the bow of your ship, toss her overboard. Throw her a life vest and say, swim, mama, swim. But I ain't dying with you. Amen. Some people don't know how to not hurt others. And listen, we believe the best of everybody, but you eventually run out of time and you die the same. And you and I have to be led by the Holy Ghost when we just walk away. Even it says of Jesus Christ in the Gospels, and he would commit himself to no man, for he knew what was in man. He just walked away from some folks. He even looked at Jerusalem and said, you've missed it. Your time is done. The hour of your visitation has passed, and you've totally missed it. And Jesus Christ gave up on the Jews. They existed for 30 more years, and then they were wiped off the map. They gave him three and a half years. How much time have you been investing in that dumpy old relationship of yours? Not talking marriage. We don't give up on those. That's a covenant. You're invested. You don't get to quit. But everything else? Flushable. 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 Does that hurt your feelings? Flushable. If you're not in covenant with them and they're drilling holes in your ship, flush them. Say, you can go to hell without me. And you can go to hell miserable and depressed without me. And there does come a separation. We don't slow down our walk with God for anybody. We have no permission from God to tap the brakes to wait up for Jimmy. We press on to the saving of our soul. All right. Mental dispositions or attitudes found in the Bible. And wouldn't you know, look at all that. It's a lot of bullet points. If the word spirit is synonymous with attitude, we should expect to find a myriad of attitudes addressed in Scripture. As it turns out, the Bible discusses a great many different types of attitudes. So as we just saw, Pharaoh's spirit was troubled, his disposition. That We would call that a downcast attitude, a downcast disposition. In Genesis 45, the spirit or attitude of Jacob, their father, revived. So he was discouraged and depressed, but when he got good news, it revived his spirit. It's like having bad news and then getting good news, and it causes you to come again happy. We ought to be those that really are very resistant to discouragement and depression, that we're always just revived. Why? Because we stir ourselves up. 
Sometimes you get a little bold, you shake your fist at the devil and you say, is that the best bad report you've got? You got any more? Because I'm a conqueror in Christ and I choose God's report. Is that the best bad report you got? Like Job, he just kept getting bad report after bad report. He said, the Lord liveth, the Lord take, giveth and taketh away. I'll bless the Lord God forever. Exodus 6 says, they hearken not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Here the Israelites would not listen to their leader because they were so beat down. They were so discouraged. Anguish of spirit. We're looking at biblical attitudes. So what does this say? In their heart they're saying, what's the point? What's the hope? We're slaves. Moses is saying, I'm going to deliver you. What's the point? What's the hope? We're slaves. We are not Pharaoh. We don't have iron chariots. We don't have swords. We barely have mud and straw. And you want to lead us? This isn't going anywhere. Your attitude will change what you listen to. Notice that depressed people like to listen to depressed people because depressed people don't easily relinquish their depression. It becomes this weird Mimi that is a child's blanket. Night-night, blankie, Kai. Kids all have different names for them. Depression becomes this weird, familiar blanket they pull over themselves for comfort. But how can you find comfort in depression that will eventually give birth to suicide? When somebody comes along and throws you a lifeline, you better take that thing. Because we can only throw it so many times and reel it back in and try to throw it to you before this ship moves past you. And I would think if you're really desperate for salvation, you would grab a hold of that thing. You'd at least start swimming towards it. If you at least start swimming towards it, we'll run down the back of the boat as the boat's moving away from you. Get some more up there. This, this person wants help, but you can't help everybody because not everybody wants it. They want their depression. They want their pity. They want to just roll over and die. Well, guess what? Die then because you can't convince the unconvincible and you can't sing songs to a heavy heart. They don't want it. So your heart has to say, I'm going to change. I'm going to live. There's something worth living for. Exodus 35, 21 says, everyone whom his spirit or attitude made willing. So we'd call that a willing attitude. The willing and obedient, not just the obedient, but the willing. That's a willing attitude. Numbers 5, in the, if the spirit of jealousy come, jealousy is an attitude. It's also a demon, but it's an attitude. If the spirit or the attitude of jealousy come, there's a whole bunch of instructions on how to be jealousy in the book of Numbers, offerings, sacrifices. Jealousy is an attitude of fear. Jealousy is an attitude of fear because you're afraid someone's going to take what you want. Someone's going to get what you desire. And it's fear. And God has not given us that spirit, so we reject jealousy. It's good to be jealous in a playful way. Someone gets a new car and you say, man, I'm so jealous. Man, you're blessed. But that's a playful way. We're not consumed of it. Or you got to meet your, your favorite uh, football player, man, I'm jealous. We know what we mean by that, but I'm talking about this attitude that's fearful. They're going to get what I want. They're going to take it away from me. It's mine. So now we're dealing with fear and selfishness. But that's all a voice of the heart. We got to reject it. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 2 says God had made his King Zihon, his spirit or attitude stubborn and his heart obstinate. We see the attitude of stubbornness. That may be one of the most familiar attitudes we know. Stubbornness, just an attitude. 
I may be standing up, but in my heart I'm sitting down. Or I don't want to. You can't make me. Or the kid walks off. Nyam, nyam, nyam. What was that? You didn't do that growing up? What was that, son? Nothing, Dad. Uh-huh. Go stand by the paddle, boy. You're going to obey with a heart of happiness or sorrow one, but I ain't taking no meh, meh, meh. And Pastor Titus in Zimbabwe says, the rod of correction applied to the seed of understanding brings joy to the heart, understanding to the heart. So we see the stubborn spirit. We call that an attitude of stubbornness. Joshua said our, in 2.11, they said our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage. That word courage there is simply rawak. There was no more spirit left in us. And here the translators say we can fittingly put the word courage. Courage is an attitude. Courage is an attitude of faith. Courage is what Joshua and Caleb had when they said, we're well able, let's go up at once. We can do this. Why? God said to do it. That's courage. Or we're never going to do it. It never works out. It never works in my favor. Nobody likes me. That's the opposite of courage. Their hearts did melt. So we see the attitude tied directly to the heart. When your hearts melt, you have to build yourself up. Every one of us, we got permission to let our hearts melt in the moment. When the report comes, the phone call comes, the doctor comes back with the lab work, your heart has permission to melt in that moment, and then you better get a hold of yourself. Everybody's allowed to get hit once and get knocked down, but then you better have your game plan ready. You don't have permission to stay there, a puddle of discouragement and faithlessness when you've been trained like we've been trained as long as we've been trained. Or were we just saying empty words to empty heads and you just nodded and took notes? You know, nodding and taking notes does not give you victory. Uh-huh, yeah. You're like one of those perpetual bobbing birds. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just as empty in your little glass head. We need faith. How about uh, Joshua? The Amorite kings lost heart and their courage failed. Same words in the Greek, uh, Hebrew. They lost heart and their courage, their attitude, their spirit. Their spirit failed them. We know it's not the human spirit. Because these guys, their spirit man's dead. In the New Testament, our spirit man's a born again. Uh, it's not a failure issue there. It's our heart. So that attitude. We've all been around people where you think, I would follow them to the moon and back. I would. You just say it, I'll do it. You just want to be around certain people because they have this essence of faith and greatness about them. And then you get around other people and you think, I just talked to them for a minute and I got to go take a Valium or something or lithium or an upper or a downer. I don't know what's wrong. My head is spinning. Why can we not all be the person everybody in our life wants to be around? And let us be the star they navigate their life by as we direct them to Jesus Christ. Or you can choose to be mopey, whiny, discouraged. It's all a choice. It's all a choice. It is all a choice. And you have no permission to see, sing your sad song. You live in America. What is your sad song? What lyrics did you rhyme with pathetic? <laughs> I don't get it. You got nothing to mope about. <laughs> Judges 8.3 says, Then their anger was abated toward him. It's the word spirit. Their spirit was abated, but the King James says it translated as anger. We know it was anger because of the previous verses, but you see that anger is an attitude. And there's nothing wrong with that attitude as long as it's used biblically. 
be angry and sin not. We're to be angry at sin and angry at unrighteousness, but we don't sin with it. How about 1 Samuel? Hannah said, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. We know it's not her born-again spirit. She's not born again yet. And even in the New Testament, your spirit man doesn't get sad. Seated in heavenly places. So she's of a sorrowful attitude. She's so cast down. For years, her heart has said, I want a baby. I want a baby. And just when she learns contentment, then her co-wife comes along and makes fun of her for not having kids, and it just stirs it all up again. And here's the concept that our faith, word of faith fathers would roll over in their grave over. Emotions are very powerful uh, forces of faith because they bring forth desperation. They bring forth dire condition. And sometimes you just need to hit rock bottom in sorrow and in discouragement and in lack so your heart will cry out to God because as long as you can be meh, you're never going to engage faith. This woman's sorrow activated her faith. You know, the, our faith fathers, as, as they were pioneering things, said, faith has nothing to do with emotions. Yes, it do. Because faith is of the heart, and the heart is full of emotions. Amen. What about when, uh, in the Old Testament, when they saw Cosby having sex uh, with the Midianite, or the Malachite woman, and nobody would do anything? And there was, uh, who was it? Um, Phineas goes and grabs the javelin in anger. And he goes and he impales both of them as they're in the act of coitus and sticks them into the ground. That's anger. And God said, that's faith. Oh, faith has nothing to do with emotions. It has everything to do with emotions. You just got to harness them in the right direction. And when he had eaten, his spirit came again to him. That We call that an exhausted disposition, an exhausted disposition. What about uh, 1 Kings 10, 5, talking about the Queen of Sheba? There was no more spirit in her. She saw all the greatness of Solomon and his wealth and his wisdom. And the King James says there was no more spirit. We'd say she's just awestruck. That's an attitude. You just, some of us as parents, our kids have done something and that's been us. We're like, oh. I don't even know what to say to that. I don't, what were you thinking? I don't, I don't know. And you just Look at your kids. You think, what, what in the world possessed you? Even Baptist parents used to say that. What possessed you? They don't even have a doctrine of possession. What possessed you to do such a thing? <laughs> there, there's no more spirit left in them. They don't even know what to say. They're just awestruck. It, it, when you got a good mom and dad, it's hard to make them strike them dumb. But that's the attitude going, I don't know what to say. Go to your room until I can process this. It's going to involve a lot of pain. I can guarantee you the solution is going to involve pain on you. <laughs> but we see that. The Bible calls that an attitude. 1 Kings 21.5, why is thy spirit so sad? This is Jezebel talking to Ahab. Why is your spirit so sad that thou eatest no bread? Funny thing about depression, you either be a piggy or a starver. It's a choice. People process depression the same. Some pack on the pound, some starve themselves. You're controlling it, though. Jezebel asked Ahab when he couldn't get Je um, Nabal's vineyard, why is your spirit so sad? Why, why is your attitude so depressed? She walks into the room. Apparently, she could perceive it. He's depressed and sad because he doesn't get to purchase illegally the vineyard he wants. It was unlawful for Nabal to sell him the uh, vineyard. It's against Mosaic law. 
Ecclesiastes 10.4, if the spirit of the ruler rise up against thee, submit thyself, it goes on to say, for yielding pacifies great anger or great hostility. So here, your boss's attitude is incensed against you. The King James, quoting the Hebrew, says the spirit, the ruach of the ruler rise up against you. If your boss gets mad at you, that's an attitude. Chill, hold your peace for pacifying yields great offenses. Don't argue, don't defend yourself, just say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. You're right. I'll fix it. And watch how quickly you can extinguish their attitude. Watch how quickly the boss's attitude shifts. Anybody ever been yelled at by their boss? Did you yell back? If you did, it was from the unemployment line. (laughs) It was with a box of your possessions in, in your hand as you're walking out the door with security. Yeah. But the boss's attitude rapidly incensed against you, and if you'd yield, it would come down just as quickly. It's an attitude, and it was controlled by what they thought, how they felt about it, and what they wanted to do about it. Psalmist said, create for me a pure heart. O God, renew a resolute spirit. Renew a resolute spirit. Create for me a pure heart. What's a resolute spirit? That's a spirit that doesn't give up. Great resolve. Uh, We need to have that in the day that we live in. David prayed for it. Give me a determined attitude that I won't quit. I won't do this again. It's a good thing to pray. He's asking God to help him in his attitude to not quit, not give up. We don't throw in the towel. Your attitude is your choice. We're teaching that to our children. You're probably teaching that to your children. And we need to know it as adults. Your attitude is a choice. You choose to be resolved. You choose to give up. You choose to be joyful. You choose to be a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person. You choose to believe the promises of God or you choose to reject them. It's a choice. You choose to be a jerk or you choose to be pleasant. You choose to be cranky or you choose to be a servant. It's totally your choice. You choose depression or you choose victory. It's a choice. We make our kids say it. I choose happy, right? Now let me see you smile. Now go be somewhere else out of my presence with that smile. You and I, we are what we choose to be. That's not American. American wants to blame everybody else for our hardship. Nobody knows the trouble we've seen. Nobody knows but Jesus. Yep, that's right. And he's telling you to suck it up and choose joy and choose the word and choose victory, and choose faith, because you're no good to the kingdom no matter what you've just come through. Dragon bottom. My dad would say, boy, that lip gets any bigger. You're going to trip on it, or it's going to be dragon gravel. That's what my, you know, I remember him telling me that as a kid. That lip gets any bigger. You're going to trip on it, or it's going to drag on the gravel. What, what, What was he saying? Suck it up. Deal with it. Grow up, boy. What happened to all the good old dads that just made men out of their boys instead of little panty waists? Little well, I'm sensitive. That's a disposition you can change. I'm all for being sensitive, not so sensitive. I'm all for having emotions and being tender with your children and tender with your wife and tender with the brokenhearted. But you better be able to, like Dr. Barclay said last night, you ought to be able to take handle getting shot at. I just got shot at. Yep. Enjoy it. It means you're getting close to the front line. Yeah, we just, we're too sissified. It really is <clears throat> unfortunate. Ecclesiastes 7, 8. The patient in spirit, that's an attitude. Patience is an attitude. Impatience is an attitude. 
is better than the proud of spirit. So pride, we knew that. Pride was an attitude. That's thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. So to be patient is better than to be proud or prideful. And so sometimes, uh, especially in our waiting lines on the phone or in restaurants, we can show our colors real quick. I've been waiting 15 minutes. All right, well, you just ruined your witness being a jerk. You can approach the, uh, the customer service, but with a sweeter attitude than that. Haven't you ever learned the old hillbilly proverb? That you'll win more flies with honey than vinegar? Are you still busy squeezing mama out of your soul with all that vinegar? I wouldn't help you. I, if I was customer service and you were being a jerk, I'd lose your number on purpose. Well, I'm never coming back here. That's what I was aiming for. Good. We didn't want your business anyway. It wasn't much to, you know, honey, this is a billion-dollar corporation. If you go shopping at the Walmart, we're not going to be sad. <laughs> the book of Proverbs uses Rawak 21 times. Spirit. Five uses are translated as when. Two refer to a spiritual Rawak. The other 15 of those uses refer to the attitude or disposition of a man. Consider that. Fifteen uses in Proverbs deal with the attitude. A faithful spirit conceals a matter. So faithfulness, that's an attitude. When you have a faithful attitude, you will refuse to drop the ball on anything or anybody. And the Bible says that's rare. Faithful man who can find. But if you're on time for church, you'll be on time for work, you'll be on time for your family reunion, your boss will be able to depend on you, your wife will be able to depend on you, your kids will be able to depend on you, you won't be late with your taxes, you won't be late with your mortgage. You're faithful. In everything you do, you can't just not be faithful. It just comes out of you. If you're going to be late to meet some buddies to watch the ball game, you're texting or calling because it's important to you to be a man or woman of your word. And that plays into faith as well. How about he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Some folks are just always in a hurry, 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 hurry. They never slow down to take their time. They never slow down. Now, the other opposite end is they're just way too slow. They're just always dragging. And all, everywhere they go, they're always a day late and a dollar short and dope, dope, which way did he go? Which way did he go? And that's not a good ditch either. But this ditch is you're always hasty. Everything you do, you do to hurry up and get to the finish line but you never did anything right along the way, so you end up doing it right five times. Through some of our construction projects around here, I was getting to know the cookful attitude, which is pretty disgusting. And I was noticing in our level of excellence, which is, was pretty poor then, it's much better now, I said, why in God's name would we do something right the first time when we can do it wrong seven? Because that was the testimony of a lot of our remodeling projects. We wouldn't take our time and do it right the first time. Oh, no, 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 we do six hours of it wrong. And then I'd say, just stop. Let me get somebody who I can count on. And there goes your promotion. Hastiness will demote you because you can't be trusted and it won't be good. Amen. A devious tongue breaks the spirit. A devious tongue, uh, that's like the woman who always finds a backhanded compliment. You know what a backhanded compliment is? You look so good in that. I didn't know they made dresses that big. That's a devious tongue. It breaks the attitude. It hurts the people that it affects. Oh, I'm so proud of you. I didn't ever think you could get it. Men don't do that. That's totally a woman's sin. Oh, man, that's such a woman's sin. And the Bible calls that a devious tongue. Just because you can say something critical with a smile doesn't mean your heart is right. 
they're the biggest loser on the planet. I don't know how they got anywhere. I'm surprised he even asked her to marry him. Say it with a smile, you're still a pervert. You're still a deviant. The master at these can look you in the eyes and backhanded compliment you with a smile. And they think they've done you a service. And what they did was they broke your attitude. They broke your heart. They crushed you. They crushed your confidence. As I have pastored, it's always women guilty of this. Men just don't care. And like I said the other day, when we fellowship, we purposely put each other down, and it's like the lion cubs biting each other as we learn aggression. We don't take it personal. We just make fun of each other. And then we, within, if we run out of something to say, we just punch each other. And that might, if he grabs, that might escalate to wrestling. And that's how we know we like each other. Because you don't take somebody you hate to the ground. That's called assault. <laughs> By sorrow of the heart, the attitude is broken. Notice the heart and the spirit are tied together there because that heart is producing an aroma. By the sorrow of the heart, your attitude is broken. Well, you can fix it by getting rid of the sorrow. There's a time to be sorrow and sad and discouraged, but we don't live that way. There's a time to be sad, but if it lasts for longer than a month or two when a loved one dies, depending on how long they were alive in your life, you got to start to come out of that thing or it'll crush your attitude and you'll end up uh, kind of being tossed to the side in the kingdom because you can't advance a kingdom with depressed people. People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. That is the Hebrew word rewak. So people might be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord's examining their spirits, their aroma, their attitudes, their dispositions. So even our motives have an aroma about them. A haughty spirit goes before a fall, so that we call that pride. How about better is, is it to be of a humble spirit with the lowly? That would be humility. Humility is an attitude. And all of these, I want to show you how much the Bible does talk about this over and over and over again. All of this is a reflection of what people are saying in their heart. Humility is what you say in your heart. Pride is what you say in your heart. A devious tongue is is what you're saying in your heart, and then it comes out of your mouth. A broken spirit, that is a broken heart, a broken attitude, it dries the bones. In the, uh, in the poetical books of the Bible, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, bones always refers to your soul because bones are what holds your body upright, and your soul is what holds your body upright. So when you're broken in your heart, and broken in your attitude, it causes your soul to just dry out. And these are all negative attitudes here. Depression, discouragement is how we would translate it today. A man of understanding is of an excellent attitude, an excellent spirit. So understanding brings excellence to your attitude. When you understand stuff, there's a confidence to you. When it's your first day on a job and you've never done the job before, you don't have confidence. But if you keep asking, show me how to do it. Show me how to work the widget. Show me how to work the widget. Show me where to work the widget. And before long, you have this understanding. It brings an excellence and a courage to you and a confidence. That's an attitude. Ignorance causes there to be a lack of courage. So then why I would ask some of us, if you have all the understanding, where's the courage? Where's the excellence? If you have the understanding, where's the excellence in the attitude? You got to get it. The 
attitude of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded disposition, a wounded spirit, who can bear? If you have a faith-filled, excellent, courageous attitude, you can get hit with a spiritual nuke, and it'll, your attitude will sustain you. You'll say, well, bless God, I guess we're at war. We'll win, though, because we won the last 15 wars. We'll beat this because we always beat it. Ha, 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 and you devil. Ha, 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 and you nuclear fallout. I've got courage and victory. We'll just figure out what God wants us to do next. It's what we've been through. You don't fight the big wars first. You fight the little wars, and God, by his mercy, lets you ramp up the wars you fight. And if you're at war again, God knows you'll win it if you'll obey him because you won the last 15. I would just hate to fight the same war over and 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 over again, and it technically just be a skirmish. So judge your attitude because it will sustain you in time of weakness. But if your spirit, your attitude is wounded, every little bump in the night will make you fall apart. Every little negative word will make you fall apart. Even the sermons will cause you to tumble out of orbit. <laughs> Fools vent their anger. That is the word attitude or disposition. So anger there is an attitude. Honor shall uphold the humble in spirit, the, humi the humility. So the two additional Proverbs related to the attitude reveal uh, that we have the absolute ability to control our attitudes. Since we can change our hearts, this is to be expected, especially since our attitude is another manifestation of our heart. So if we can control our hearts, which we've been proving for 10 weeks we can, and our attitude is a manifestation of our heart, it's a force of the heart, then we ought to be able to change our attitude. And Mama was right. Boy, you change that attitude, I'm going to change it for you. It can be changed. Like I told you the other, I think Wednesday night, we were teaching along the same lines. My wife said, you know, honey, we expect our children to change their attitude instantly. Yeah. So what's your story? She's only said that to me at most three times in our 14 years of marriage. And she's always right about it. And that makes me all the more mad. So I instantly turn another attitude on, which is, now, to grumpy, I add, angry. If I'm not careful, bitter will activate next. And yet she's right the whole time, and she's not the problem. Me, me, my choice is the problem. When you are a turd, it is because you have chosen to be that. And you can dress up pretty for Sunday, but you're still a turd. Turd is a choice. And for you, we christen a new word, attitude. You have the stinkiest attitude I have ever seen in my whole life. And I feel sorry for your spouse and your kids. Because there's no safe way to handle an attitude except to rebuke it and flush it. Pardon my crassness. But when my kids were a little bit younger, I said, quit. Are you being a turd? Yes, sir. What do we do with turds? Flush them. That's what we said in our house. That's, that was our home discipleship. My kids are doing pretty good so far. We just beat them like a drum and call them turds. And then we pray with them a lot, have a lot of fun with them, play a lot of games. That's our parenting style. I don't, I don't think this would preach anywhere but this church. <laughs> Our attitude's a choice. So let me ask us, myself included, why do we keep choosing stupid? 
Why do we keep choosing rude? Why do we choose jealous? Why do we choose belligerent? Why do we choose to be a jerk? Why do we choose to be hostile? Why do we choose to run side? Why do we choose to sin with our attitude? When it's a choice, and we can turn that stupid thing off if we want to. Except that we don't love the people like we claim to, and we want to make them as miserable as we are in the moment. Isn't that Christ-like? Just share your misery. Or do the Bible and be delivered from your misery. It's a choice. I'm not picking on depressed people now. I'm picking on jerks. Amen. We got to quickly go because I got, man, we're going to go a little long, so, so be it. Proverbs 16, 32 says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his attitude is he better than he that takes a city, controlling one's emotions, or another translation says, one with self-control, or another translation says, one who controls his temper. Hey, mama, you can control your temper. You don't have to make everybody in your house hate you. He that has no rule over his own spirit, Proverbs 25, 28, is like a city that is broken down and without walls. A person, one translation says, a person who cannot control his temper, a person who has no self-control over his spirit, a person who does not control his temper. Over and over again, we see that you can control your temper, you can control your attitude, you can control your temper, you can control your attitude. New, uh, New Testament, blessed are the poor in spirit. That is humble, humility. Matthew says, the spirit is indeed willing, the, the flesh is weak. That has nothing to do with the human spirit because they weren't born again yet. So when Jesus Christ looks at the, the zealous disciples, they were ready to die for him. And he looks and says, the attitude is willing, but your flesh is so tired. You wanted to pray all night, but you fell asleep. Mark 14 says the attitude truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Romans says, but not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit. Fervent attitudes get things done. Fervent attitudes get things done. They're just always tackling something in life. They live by to-do lists. They're always getting something to done, and they march on with great success in life. That's an attitude you can change. You don't have to be lazy and on welfare your whole life. Fervent in attitude, serving the Lord. You cannot serve the Lord in a lazy mindset. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul said, Shall I come unto you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of meekness? So meekness is an attitude. It's a disposition. Uh, Paul also said, For they have refreshed my spirit, or this is my attitude and yours. The good report caused Paul's attitude to be refreshed. He was having a rough go at it. Then he heard that the Corinthians were doing great, and it brought a joy. Changes attitude completely. We've all seen it and heard it. Who, who told them the bad? Who gave them bad news? Because it caused an instant attitude shift. Who brought them good news? They're happy all of a sudden. It's totally a choice. Sometimes good news doesn't change your attitude. Sometimes bad news doesn't. It's totally a choice. You allow it to affect you as you want it to affect you. We got to get over this somebody else's to blame mindset. This is totally our choice. Paul said, I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. This has nothing to do with his born-again human spirit, because if he had gotten in his born-again human spirit, he would have had peace about where Titus was. This is an anxious attitude. Where's, where's Titus? I'm looking for him. In your spirit, man, you have either peace or angst, depending on something that's good or bad about to happen. He couldn't find Titus. If he had gotten in his spirit, he'd have known exactly where he was. So this is a reference to attitude. Corinthians also says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Can't be the born-again human spirit. That's seated in heavenly places. So we must cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and attitudes. You and I know we have filthy attitudes from time to time. That's why we're teaching this. 
perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If, if holiness was all about perfection in the flesh, it would be pretty easy and all the Pharisees would be saved. But it's all about the attitude. He would much rather our attitudes be pure and our flesh filthy because it'll fix our filthy flesh. But we can have perfect flesh and horrible attitudes. And that's why Paul lumps the two together. We walked, uh, walk we not in the same spirit or the same disposition, the same attitude? Walk we not in the same steps? How about Galatians, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness? That is an attitude. Philippians says, stand you fast in one spirit, one attitude, one disposition, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's one attitude in the local church. We could, we could talk about it being the Holy Spirit as well. There's a lot of multiple layers there, but we, it's not a stretch to say this is, the church should have one attitude, one vision, one course. Um, be thou an example of the believer in attitude. That's been our Wednesday night services the last two weeks. Be thou an example of the believer in attitude. Your attitude is, is probably the reason why God can't promote you. Or it's the reason he is promoting you. Because if he promotes you, your attitude will rain down on everybody under you. And that needs to be a faith-filled, can-do, holy, tempered, modest, meek, pure, genuinely lovely attitude. He's not going to put a Jezebel in leadership. He's not going to put a critic in leadership. He's not going to put uh, a very uh, hot-tempered person in leadership. You can't. We have to be an example of the believer in our attitudes. And I prophesied Wednesday night. I said, your private life will only remain hidden for so long, and then it'll begin to demote you publicly. So that, to me, says clean up your private life. That would include your attitude. Adorn yourself with the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. That's an attitude which is in the sight of God of great price. Ephesians 4.23 says, Be renewed or make new your attitude. Make new the disposition of your mind. Your mind does not have a spirit. Your mind does have a disposition. That's all the definitions so far combined into one verse. But we can make new our attitude. We can have a new attitude. You can have a new biblical attitude concerning everything in your life if you want it. If you don't want it, we can't help you. Stay the same. Be like mama. Be like daddy. Be like Uncle Joe. Be miserable. Die alone. When we find you, you're mummified. In your house trailer somewhere up on the hill, holler. <laughs> Obviously, our minds don't have spirits, but they do have attitudes and dispositions. This command further supports our doctrine. We can change our attitudes and dispositions by changing how we think, want, and emote. As it turns out, our dads were right. We can change our attitude, and we can change them pretty quick. We have now seen that our hearts have a voice, and they are always talking. What they have to say can be classified as either our conscience, faith, or attitude. As we might expect, the overlap between these three is frequent and can be extreme. All the more reason for us to guard our heart above all that is to be guarded. Amen.